Hey, today we're going to continue in our series, Crushing Anxiety and Depression. And today we're going to talk about a, a really, a, it's a deep subject, defeating depression. And before I get into this, I, I want you to know that this is something that so many Americans are dealing with. It's, it's really kind of unfathomable that here we are, a nation that has so much we have so much wealth compared to other nations. We, we don't struggle for food like so many do, and we're, we're well provided for, and yet we, we're, we're dealing with depression at an unparalleled level. Three out of every four Americans say that they, that are polled, say that they know somebody who is dealing with depression to the point that it affects their life quite negatively. Three out of four. 91% of those who are in high school and in college say that they're either depressed or anxious. You know, when I was in high school and when I was in college, it was partay time. It wasn't time to be depressed. But something has shifted in our world and the church can make a change. I'm going I'm to share with you, if you're struggling with depression or you know somebody that's struggling with depression, you're not alone. In 2016 to 2021, I went through uh, terrible, terrible levels of depression. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, the church was, was struggling, but we were, we were growing. We had a staff of eight to nine people, and, and we were doing outreaches, and we were, we were tight, but we were growing. We were in one of the, the biggest phases of construction in this restoration project where we took off the entire flat roof and we put on the gables and the steeples. And, and so, so we had the roof exposed during this time and, and it was probably the biggest expense in nearly a million dollar project just in that. And I'm, I'm overseeing that plus overseeing the staff plus trying to build a, an outreach team, still going uh, occasionally to the nations. And, and, you know, the pressure was getting pretty strong. And I remember one of the things that happened is a leader in this neighborhood government came to me and wanted to have coffee and basically told me, we don't want you to grow anymore. And then he, he, he listened, he knew the vision that we had for, for this to become a campus that was thriving with young people coming and going and training. And he said, he just, he said in, in a witchcraft kind of way, that's just a dream. And then the political pressure started to come. Our banks started to get nervous. They, they, they forced us to sell off part of our campus that was on the other side of the street. The, 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 the city came down and they, they actually took away our permit to build in the middle of building over technicalities that were questionable. So we're in the middle of this, we're in financial stress and then, and then the city comes and they take away the, the permit and then, and then we had a leader, a good leader who wanted to raise up and start another work and we helped him do that but they took the entire leadership team with them and so Nija and I were stuck with just a handful of people. So we were, at, not, not only the leaders were gone, the finances were gone, the evangelism was gone and it was a good thing to start another work but it was, a, it was negatively affected us and then I had a motorcycle accident where I went over the hood of a car 
And I got up, and I thought, okay, I'm fine, you know. And I came back, and I preached that night. I'm declaring faith. But over the next two years, I, I was receiving so much pain in my lower back and in my, my hands. I, I mean, I crossed my eyes. It just ugh, it hurt so bad. I couldn't sleep. You know, Nietzsche and I had marital problems. I mean, not big ones. It's just that uh, I had very little feeling below my waist. And so, you know, we're a young couple. And, you know, she, she, yeah, she wanted to get busy. And I wasn't about getting busy. And praise the Lord, it created strife. And, and you know, I, I, and I'm just going to be honest with you. As a man, that, that really cuts to your heart. And uh, it, it got so bad that I was... I was contemplating giving up, never contemplated giving up before. And then I, I, I tried to get away to go hunting and I received a cell phone call and it was the state of Iowa and they took away our tax credits, the, the reservation letter for almost $800,000 that we were counting on to refinance. And they just took it away because of all these other things I just mentioned. And I went from being anxious to almost instantly depressed. And I went into a hole that was so dark, uh, never want to go through that again. And when I made the decision, when I made the decision, and it was a fight, and it was a process to begin to come out of that COVID hit. And then I had some surgeries, but when, when as soon as those surgeries were done, I, I took up the fight. And it was a process. It was the absolute worst, darkest, deadest time of my life. I was still functioning in the pulpit, but nobody knew. It was the darkest, hardest time in my life, but it was also the best time in my life because I learned to appreciate things that I just took for granted in the past, and I learned how to fight depression, and I learned how to live a life where the peace of God... I'm not telling you I'm there all the time, I think we all struggle with depression a little bit. But when you get to that type of clinical depression, it steals every moment of every day. You know, here, I want to read this to you. Depression is being, it's like being colorblind and constantly being told by others how colorful the world is. Depression is feeling like you've lost something, but you have no clue when or where you last had it. Then one day you realized you lost yourself. The hardest thing about depression is, and this is hard for people who've never experienced it to understand, it is addictive. And it begins to feel uncomfortable not to be depressed. And for some reason, those who struggle with depression, we feel guilty for not feeling we feel guilty for feeling happy. Statistics say, according to the World Health Organization, WHO, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Nearly four out of 10 adults worldwide say that their lives have been affected to some degree by depression and anxiety. That's according to Gallup polls. This survey, a survey found that a self-reported, people who self-reported that either they or their roommate or, or friend encountered mental or behavioral concerns in the past year, and anxiety, including anxiety, 55% said it was either them or the person that they were living with. This is a big problem. 
And, the, and, and what I want you to understand before we get into this, this is not meant to condemn. This isn't like, hey, so you slap yourself and get out of it. Pull yourself up by your, your bootstraps. Because when it comes to depression, when it gets to a certain level, you can't do that. That's like saying when you're, when you're broke, hey, just pull yourself up and start paying your bills. Get yourself together and pay your bills, but you don't have anything to pay it with. And you don't know where to look. I, I want to say this. Depression does not heal itself. That is one of the biggest lies that people who are struggling with, that we who struggle with depression deal with, that we think if we just wait, it's not going to, it's going to go away. It won't. Depression will not heal itself. Your soul will not heal itself. Just like your body won't heal itself if you have a splinter underneath the skin. Don't blame yourself. There are many reasons that depression strikes. And, and, and guys, depression strikes usually because of multiple reasons. One would be trauma, the death of a spouse, the death of a friend, the, the collapse of a business. Maybe you have a genetic deposit. Maybe your family's got it in, in their side. It may be a side effect of health conditions or diet. It may be because of no clear reason at all. I, I want to remind you that Jesus said that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't have to take anything from you if he can take your self-esteem. He, he doesn't have to steal from you if he can steal your self-worth. He doesn't have to keep you busy if he can steal your ability to enjoy the time that you have. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came so we may have life, have joy, and have it more abundantly. Not every remedy for depression is automatic. It can be and most likely will be, the remedy will be a process. There, there, is not, there isn't a one-size-fits-all cure for depression. And I don't, even know, I don't even know if cure is the right word. Because when we say cure, it's like I get a shot and then I get better and it doesn't work like that. Because if you've experienced depression for any length of time, then you have a habit, You're, you have mental muscles that are used to moving in a certain way. You have a certain pattern in which you think, and those things have to be rewired. Those things have to be redone. And, and here's, here's a good, the good thing about it is God has made your brain so it can rewire itself. God has made your brain so it physically can change in the way, it's called the genome structure, neoplasticity, where you begin to think differently and it transforms the way that your brain is actually set up. So just because you have depression as a history in your family doesn't mean that you have to have it the rest of your life. Forgiveness, guys, is from God. Most healing from depression takes God and it takes people in the church. I want you to hear that. 
most healing from depression, it is a process. And it takes God and it takes people in the church. Why? Because forgiveness comes from God, but healing comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Satan has no power in depression as long as it has no secret. Where you have a secret where it's just between you and God and nobody else, Satan has power to increase. It's like fertilizer that he'll put on the weed to cause it to grow. It's like gasoline he pours on the fire of your mind. But when you get rid of the secrecy of it, when you confess it to a brother or sister in Christ, all of a sudden the power that Satan had to increase that thing and to put you under farther is gone. Intimacy comes to us through the church three ways. Through small groups. This is part of our culture change. Through being on a serve team and also from continuing to grow, by grow classes. The way that you connect with people and get close to them, people that you can trust, that you can tell about what you, you don't tell everybody. You find two or three people that you connect with in the church and they become your confidants. And you, you, they're in your small group. Maybe they're part of your serve team. Maybe they're part of your grow classes, which we'll be developing here after Easter. Now, whether it's instantaneous or it's a long and tiresome process, healing from depression is a miracle. We have confusion in the body of Christ, so we think a miracle has to be instantaneous. No, there were some times that Jesus told somebody to go, and on the way, they were healed. It was a process. After, the, after Nathan dipped in the pool of Siloam seven times, his skin was clean. It was a process. And, and healing from depression when God's involved is always miraculous. It may not be instantaneous. Depression is a spiritual condition that can, listen, it can affect the mind and the body. That's why we're so tired. We have no drive when depression is on us. The process in defeating depression is a worthwhile journey. It's hard, but it's worth it because there's a miracle on the other side. And some depression may require professional help. Pastor Nijin and I are not clinical psychologists. We can help bring spiritual healing, but sometimes we need help in the process of how we think. Sometimes we may need help with a, a prescription. There's nothing wrong with that. Just because you take something to help you with depression doesn't mean that you don't have faith. As a matter of fact, every time you take it, if it's doctor prescribed, <coughs> you say to yourself, in Jesus' name, I thank God that I'm getting better every single day. This is for my body, but I'm going to work on my mind and God's going to heal my spirit. The only thing that's more exhausting than being depressed is hanging around people and pretending that you're not. For some reason, so many people in the church act like if you're depressed, you're in sin. If you're depressed, you're weak. If you're depressed, you need, to, you need to toughen it up and get in the Bible. You need to start quoting the Word of God. You need to cast your care. 
It's a little more complicated than that. Because depression affects the soul, it affects the body, and it affects the spirit. And so we need to attack the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. We need to begin to make changes in those areas, develop habits in those areas, so that the process of the miracle can take place in our life. The last thing that we want to do is be hanging around people that, that are telling us, now sometimes we just feel it and it's not true, but they're telling us that your depression is a sin, you're, you're, you're weak. Jesus was so downcast in the Garden of Gethsemane that he went to the Father and he cried out and he begged him to change things. Was he weak? Is Jesus weak? I thank God that I, I, I serve a God who is strong enough to create everything you see and everything you don't see, but weak enough to beg the Father to change things in the Garden. So he identified with our, our weakness so he could be the high priest. Listen, there are three people in the Bible. I just want to give this to you to, to help you in, in this introduction. There are three people who struggled with depression in the Bible. They're your heroes. The first is David. In Psalms 42, he said, I am so, why, why am I so downcast? Why am I so discouraged? I, in, in Psalms 42 and 43, you can read his thoughts and his prayers as he cries out to God in depression. Why aren't you answering me? Why are you so far from me? David struggled with depression, yet he was a man after God's own heart. Elijah, the man who stood up on Mount Carmel and slayed 400 prophets of Baal. Then he ran because Jezebel threatened him. He was in such depression in 1 Kings chapter 19. He said, Lord, please just take my life. Elijah struggled with depression. And Jonah, Jonah, the guy who, who rebelled against God, and then he, he was thrown overboard. He got swallowed by a whale. Three days in the belly of a whale, spit out on the, on, the, on, on the shores of Nineveh. And he preached the gospel. After he did all these amazing things for God, in Jonah chapter 4, he said twice, it would be better, God, if you just killed me. It would be better if I were dead. Jonah even in success, struggled with depression. Now, here, here's the good news. The good news is we don't have to go through this process of healing from depression alone. We don't have to go through it alone. So point number one. When depression tries to get on you, when you realize that you're in depression, when you're so far under the waters of depression that you can't even see the sun through the, through the dark waters that you're looking up to, when you're that lost, here's what the Word of God says, run to Jesus. When you are down... Jesus isn't going to criticize you because you're down. How many of you spanked your children when they were toddlers, when they were trying to learn to walk and they fell? How many of you were even disappointed when they fell? None of us. We encourage them. Get back up. We'll help you. Run to the one who will lift you up and guide you and hold your hands until you can walk on your own again. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you, listen, I want you to see this. He didn't say you're going to sleep. He didn't say that you get to take a break. He said you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke and my burden is easy and light. Everybody say yoke. I want you to get this. Jesus never said my yoke is weightless. He never said my yoke will be effortless. But he said, my yoke is light. You know, what he's talking about is where you used to, used to put two oxen together or two mules together or two Budweiser, you know, Clydesdales together. And you got them yoked together. And the big one is Jesus and the small one is you. And Jesus is pulling 95% of it. But you've got to pull your 5%. Don't ever forget that he's pulling the major part of the load. You're pulling the light part of the load. But if you don't pull the light part of the load, he can't move because... He is always working in partnership with you. He said, come to me, come to me. It's not that you get a quit. It's not that you don't have to stop. It's not that you don't have to put forward effort. But my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because, because I'm taking the weight. I'm taking almost all of it. I'll take the weight of your guilt. I'll take the weight of your sin. I'll take the weight of your depression. I'll take the weight of your anxiety. I will take the thing that's slowing you down. I will get you to the point. Listen, I will get you to the point that you are developed so that you can increase. When I was a kid, then my dad was, said, nope, you ain't getting any of those wussy training wheels. I was like, okay. And I got scabs and I got it, but I learned to ride my bike in one day. But I had neighbor kids who had training wheels. I used to envy them because they would ride like crazy and never fall over. And then their dad every week would raise up the training wheels a little bit and they got a little more wobbly. And then when they got good at that stage, they'd raise them up again, and they were a little more wobbly, but they were learning. So they were, they were being raised at their level that they could handle. And that's what Jesus does when he puts his yoke upon you. When you take his yoke upon you, he gives you what you can handle, not more than what you can handle. James chapter 4 says, submit yourselves to, then to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Now here, Jesus said, take my yoke, come to me, take my yoke. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Now, if you sin, wash your hands, purify your hearts. Don't be, don't be double-minded. Come to God. And here's what's going to happen. He's going to come to you. Come to Jesus. Get up in that yoke. And Jesus is going to nudge you over next to you and say, let's go. And I'm not going to give you, I know you can't handle hardly anything right now, but let's take a step. Let's take a step. Just a small one together. Good. Let's take another one. Let's take another one. And he, he increases that as you begin to develop, as you begin to heal. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What, what am I saying? 
That you dump it completely? No, you're going to have to process this stuff with the help of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to rethink some things. It's going to be a little bit painful. But hold on. When you yoke up underneath him, you're saying, I was carrying this whole dang thing by myself. I was stupid. You help me. And he comes and says, about time. It didn't didn't weigh anything for me. And he just helps you. Do you understand He takes the burden. He takes the weight. Now listen, when we come to him, when we draw near to him, he cares for you. Don't think of an emotion. Think of an effort. Think of adding value. Think of doing something. Don't think, when we say care, we say, I care for you, but I don't like you. I care for you, but but I'm mad at you. I can't, no, he cares for you by serving you. That's literally what that word means. He serves you. Come near to God. And then he begin to serve you in this area so healing can come. Point number two. Point number one, come to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Point number two, we begin to challenge our negative thoughts. Everybody say challenge. If somebody comes up to you and they say, and you just love your dad with all, you just think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. You, you know, you, you, he was a great dad. He always gave you what you, and they said, your dad is a thief. Your dad is a liar. What are you going to do? If you're my kid, you better put your fist up. You better defend me. Because if you love your father and he's, he's been good to you, you better defend. Don't be passive now. This is time to be aggressive. When Satan, begins to, when Satan begins to tell you or you begin to tell yourself that you have no value, that your past is so bad that it's going to transform and change your whole future to the bad. If, if you begin to tell yourself that everybody's talking about you, Satan says, nobody will let you succeed. And you hear those thoughts. You better stand up like somebody's talking bad about your father. And you challenge that thought. Because it's not what people say about you. It's not what even you say about you at this stage. It's what God says about you that's important. You are an ambassador. You are a child of the living God. You are royalty. You are a priesthood. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Nothing is impossible for you in God. Nothing is impossible for you with God. That's who you are. Are challenge those negative thoughts because they're not based in fact. They're based in history and your twisted version of the past mm, affecting your future. The broken will always, when you experience depression, the broken will always be able to love harder than most. Because you've been in the dark and you'll learn to appreciate everything that shines. The Bible says God works all things for the good of those who love the Lord. God doesn't bring you depression, but if you're in depression, here's one of the purposes that God can bring out of it. The broken, you being broken, will cause you to love harder. Because you see the good things in life, you begin to appreciate them. 
and they begin to shine where they didn't mean anything in the past. And because of that, you're going to challenge negative thoughts. Psalms 42, 5 says, David, remember David? David's talking, he talks to himself. This is how he challenged his own thoughts. He said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Come on, soul, put your hope in God, for I will praise my God and my Savior. My soul, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon and the Mount Bazaar. I'm I'm going to remember what God has done in my past. Because right now, I'm just looking at a future that doesn't look too bright. I'm, I'm looking at the things that I made mistakes in the past. Now, I under, so why am I feeling this way? God has been so good to me. He did this for me. He did that for me. He pulled me out of this hole. He provided for me when I didn't have anything. He elevated me to this place of being king. Why? Look in the mirror and say, why am I so downcast? Challenge yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Why am I feeling this way when God has done such wonderful things for me? Why do I think my future is so bad When God promises me hope and a future and good things, challenge your thoughts. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to go to verse 8. Finally, brothers, after you challenge yourself, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, I can't, I just can't can't stop. That's the way I was. Let me tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you one area of my life, just one area in this, it seemed like everything had gone south during this period. Because of the pain from spinal injuries and my knee and on top of the pressure financially and and on top of rejection, on top of, on top of you know, running into governmental problems, on, on top of not knowing what the future was going to look like, having a, a picture. You know what? I, I, gained, I gained almost 100 pounds. Depression is a weight gainer. I could not, I I couldn't see myself running. I couldn't see myself exercising. I couldn't see myself going to gym because if I just carried, I just carried a stupid Walmart bag in from the car, my back would hurt for three days. That's how bad it was. So I said, God, I got, I got, I got to get myself out of this. I've got to start working to, because I got to work on my body. I got to work on my mind. I got to work on my spirit. I don't know what to do. And you know what I did? I went to YouTube and I went to, I typed in biggest losers. And I watched these 500, 400, 300 pound people running and losing weight. And I watched it every single night for a month. And you know what? I just kept feeding that to me and feeding. That was just one area. I did the same scripturally. I did the same motivation. I did the same in every area of my life. Bit by bit, I fed my, I mean, it was like force feeding. I did not want to watch it. But as soon as my surgeries were done, guess where I ended up? At the gym. And I'll tell you, I had not run 
I had not run any distance physically at all since 2015. And this week I was running, I was walking three minutes, running two minutes, walking three minutes, running two minutes, walking three minutes and running two minutes. Where I couldn't even walk without excruciating pain in that time frame. God did a, a, a miracle as, I, as, I, as I, I hooked up with his yoke and I began taking one step at a time, one meal at a time, one Bible study at a time, one prayer, prayer session of prayer at a time, and one step right after the another. And, and God brought me out and it took two years, but it was an incredible, it's an incredible miracle. Just because it's a process doesn't mean it wasn't a miracle. Romans chapter 12 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Challenge the negative thoughts. You can't, please hear me, you can't tell yourself, don't think that. I remember, I've, I've, I've used this illustration many times, but there's an old black and white cartoon where this lady, Betty Boop, is trapped up in this black, black and white apartment building. And, and, and the, the old geezer with the long beard, the fireman, he puts up his ladder and she said, help me, help me, help me, you know. And, and he's, he's climbing up the ladder and then there's this other little office, little fireman guy. And there's a, there's, a, there's a little fire and it's got a smiling face on it and it's firing and he steps on it and it splits into two. And then he steps on the one that split in two, it splits into four. And, they, and it just keeps multiplying. That's what happens when you try and tell yourself, don't think that thought. Draw near to God. Begin, begin to thank him for what he's done in the past. Then instead of thinking the negative thought, think on whatever is excellent. Think on whatever is praiseworthy. Th think about anything that's admirable. Something that God has done in your life. So you draw near to God. You replace what you were doing with what he tells you to do. And then what happens is your, your appetite for thinking begins to change. It's just like if you begin to think about your favorite meal. Maybe it, it's me, maybe it's it's prime rib with asparagus and those little baked potatoes with those little chunks of salt and garlic on them, roasted just right. And that prime rib has got that au sauce, you know, on your plate. And the asparagus has a has a little the little spices on it, and and you can tell the butter's just kind of melting off it. And, and see, I'm thinking about that, and guess what's happening? My appetite's changing. Oh, man. Chocolate cake. Chocolate chocolate cake with chocolate fudge frosting, right? Three chocolate chocolate cake with chocolate frosting on top, on bottom, in the middle, around. Ooh, how about this? Put it on top of vanilla ice cream. Oh. And pour hot chocolate over it. And then take one of those cherries, put it on top. Got ice cream melting, you got that fudge. See, your appetite just changed. You can do that yourself. Think on whatever's admirable. 
Think about whatever is praiseworthy. Think about the good things that God has done in your life. Now, listen, we've been thinking about French fries so long, we're not thinking about good things. We're not thinking about lean protein and vegetables because we've been thinking about junk food for so long. We've been, we've been taking it, yeah, it, there's an addictiveness to it. I want you to understand that. Depression is addictive because there's a point where you say, I don't, I'm, I don't deserve to feel good. I've got to feel bad. If I don't feel bad, I'm not earning my way out of this. Who said you had to earn it? Think about what God's done. Think about the victories he's brought in your life. Think about the answered prayer. Think about the kids that have come to the Lord and the ones that are going to come to the Lord. I want you, you, do you remember that scripture says, hey, we don't wage war, not by flesh, not by blood, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Yes. And then we say, we don't wage war like the rest of the world does. We don't, we don't use tanks. We don't use bullets. We don't use swords. But I want you to see in context what that scripture is talking about. Second Corinthians chapter 10 is talking about this battle in your mind. He says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine godly power to demolish strongholds. We demolish demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What has God done in your life? We, we, everything that sets you, itself up, God is not good. No, he's been good to me in the past. God's my, he, he's not going to provide for you. No, he's provided for me in the past. God, God's not going to forgive you. No, he's forgiven me, and he's multiplied me, and he's increased me. God loves me. We, what we do is we, we demolish every argument. And every protection that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. This battle is in the battle of our mind. Not necessarily against demons. Not necessarily against strongholds in this world. No, it's strongholds in your mind. And we need the power of Christ to do that. Let me explain. That thought comes. God is not going to get you out of this one. You did it too bad. You screwed it up so bad. He isn't going to get you out of this one. And you say, oh, that doesn't line up. with. He's got me out of everything so far. He's loving and he's compassionate. God, I just thank you. Draw up near to him. God, I just thank you. And go ahead and put that on me. And, and, and I just thank you that you will get me out of this. I, I thank you that you have forgiven me. I think there's nothing I can do that is, is more powerful than your blood that you shed on the cross. And you get in that yoke and the power of Christ pulls you as you begin to worship and as you begin to praise. You use the power of Christ to take every thought captive how do you do that you yoke yourself with him and you walk with him and you're talking with him as you're walking with him and yes there's pressure you're you're applying discipline here you're you're doing something it's not it just doesn't come like poof it's gone and you begin to walk with him as you walk with him the power of christ takes your thoughts captive as you begin to walk with him you'll begin to think differently 
take it captive or depression will trap you. I want, I want to put this up here. The thing about depression. The thing about depression. A human being can survive almost anything as long as it sees the end in sight. But depression is so insidious and it compounds daily that it's impossible to see the end. There's no way out when you're in depression. The fog is like a cage without a key. That's depression. It's like, it's like being in a prison and you're all locked up and there's nobody that's going to let you out because you don't even see guards. You never hear guards. You're in there all by yourself. As a matter of fact, you're deep, dark. You're in that very smallest cold corner naked, and you're just huddling trying to keep yourself warm. That's a picture of depression. No light. Naked in the corner, and all you see is bars, but you don't hear anybody, and you never see anybody. You've got to break out of that by standing up and take your thoughts captive and hook up with Jesus and begin to walk with him and praise him and think of things that are admirable. And it's not going to go away immediately. It's going to hurt. It's going to be a process. But pretty soon, you'll st when you're walking with Jesus, you'll start being okay with feeling okay. When you walk with Jesus, when you have his yoke upon you, you'll start being okay with feeling okay. That's a powerful statement. See, there is hope. There is hope. Hope is a picture of a bright future. Hope is a picture of things getting better. And when you're in depression, it's like that deep fog. You're locked in. There's no way out. First Peter 1.3, Peter said this, In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? Jesus died, was separated from the Father, he was experiencing the agony of death in the pit of hell. He was in that cold, dark place. But you remember what he said right when he gave up his life? Do you remember what he said? Into your hands I commit my spirit. He was quoting some of the Psalms of David when David was in deep depression. Psalms 22, he said, into your hands, Psalms 8, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In other words, I, I, don't, I can't do anything to get out of this, but I am going to trust you. You've gotten me through all of these years here on earth. Now, I believe you're going to get me through this. And in his resurrection, when God broke through the, through the, the, the doorways and the, the bars and the gates of hell, and he raised Jesus from the dead and brought him to life, if he could raise Jesus from the dead, he could raise you out of depression. He can bring life to your dead soul. God has brought us into this living hope. And he's deposited his spirit in you so you don't have to live in the bondage and decay and corruption of depression. Even though you walk through the valley of fear, you will fear no evil because God is with you. Isaiah 40, 28, verse 29, he says, God gives strength to the weary. 
and he increases power to the weak. Don't despise your being tired. Don't hate your weakness. Recognize it. Recognize it. I'm tired. Jesus got tired. I'm weak. Jesus got weak. But God raised him. I'm going to get alongside Jesus because every time I do, I feel better. And I know I've messed up. God, forgive me for that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Let me get in here with you. All right, go ahead. Tell me. Take a step. I'm taking a step with you. I'm taking a step with you. I'm taking a step with you. I'm beginning to feel okay. We're feeling okay. Greater is, is. Greater are you in me than anything that's in this world attacking me. You know, you're right. I can do all things through you who strengthen me. I can do this. I am feeling better. I see a future. Yeah, you've gotten me out of things. You're going to get me out of this. It doesn't come with the first step, second step, third step. It may be many steps. It may be a journey. And that's why we do what we do together as a journey. We're coming together, we're creating a place that people can know God, that they can experience, find freedom in Christ. So they can then begin to discover what God created them to do so they can see the future. And we're going to help them do, make a difference and do what God created them to do. And we're going to grow together in Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Depression is something we need to find freedom from. Psalm 37, 17 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's not far away. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you feel yourself in that corner, naked, cold, and dark, there's a light right next to you. Because Jesus is in the same posture with you, waiting for you to hook up to him. Waiting for you to see hope in him. The righteous person may have many troubles. I want you to get this, there's hope. But the Lord delivers them from them all. Nothing is too great for the Lord Jesus Christ. To see the future that God intends for us, we have to take off the lenses of anxiety and depression. And we need to see through two new lenses. The first is the lens of biblical hope. And the second is the lens of faith. Hope, God can, and God will. Faith, God heals, and he will. There is healing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me. Remember, my yoke is weary. Uh, my, my, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Isaiah 53, Jesus quoted some of this when he was on the cross. Verse 5.
but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. And the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The reason I get a little broken up on this is because when I went to heaven, one of the experiences I had was with Jesus on this verse. And I had dealt with a very anxious mind and I had dealt with depression off and on. This is prior to those five years. And Jesus did some amazing things, just little things. Like when I walked up the stairs to meet him in the throne room, he took my hand and he pulled it over like this. And all of a sudden, I had a wound in my hand like I had my hands nailed to the cross. And he looked at him and he just started peeling like this. Peeling a scab, you know. And it, it was kind of like latex and he just peeled it right off. And he did this one too and he did my feet. He said, these are not your wounds to bear. And I realized I was, I was taking on pain and sickness and thinking that my faith had to get me through it. <laughs> and he paid the price for him. He'd just take them if he wanted to. And this is what. And then he, he stood up and he reached my head. And when he reached up like this, I could feel it. I could see it. There was a crown of thorns on my head. Depression, anxiety. And I could feel the thorns deep in my, I didn't feel them before, but they were deep. And he grabbed a hold of that. He said, the chastisement of my soul has brought you peace. The agony he suffered on the cross. The rejection he suffered on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me being without his father for three days? He suffered so I don't have to. There's healing for depression. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we're healed. The word of God says that he hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Let's pray for that right now. Would you bow your heads? All throughout those that are joining us online, would you bow your heads? Let me pray this prayer for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you don't leave us in darkness. You don't leave us in depression. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that healing is the children's bread and you brought, you purchased healing for our souls. Lord, heal our anxious mind. Heal us of depression. Help us leave behind the things that we, we, we're holding on to, whether it's sin or whether it's weakness. Help us to leave that behind and to come up beside you and to put your yoke on and begin to walk with you. Help us to take every thought captive. 
God, renew us and refresh us. Lift that thing off of us. If there's been spiritual things that are holding us back, Lord Jesus, lift those things off of us. Bring us to people who are encouraging us and help us to say encouraging things to ourselves, to have an appetite for your word. Heal us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that in you we can defeat depression. Now, if you're here today, we're just going to keep talking to you. Jesus died on the cross so you don't have to do this alone. Jesus gave his life. He became fatherless so you could have a father. He became, he became sick with the, with, with the wounds that he bore so that he could heal our bodies. He suffered the chastisement of his soul so that we could be healed of depression and anxiety. Jesus did all of that for you and for me. God's son suffered on the cross so we could live with him, with peace, joy, love, and a sound mind. We enter into that relationship with him by yielding ourselves to him, by surrendering ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I've tried doing it on my own, you might say, and, and you've gotten to the point that you realize you're not going to defeat this alone. You need Jesus in your life. Surrender, give your life to him. Surrender your life to him. Let him make you new. Let him make you whole. Let him bring refreshment to your spirit and your soul. Let him give strength to your body. Let him forgive you of your sins and give you a brand new future as you walk with him. Now, if you want to do that, if you want to, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, just raise up your hand. Even there online, just raise up your hand right where you're at. Yes, raise up your hand right where you're at. And let me pray with you. We'll all pray this together with them, will you? I'm going to pray this with them. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I have sinned, but I know you forgive me. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit. Heal my mind, my body, and my spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'm going to live for you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.